Welcome back, Josh. It's good to be back. It's been a it's been a long time. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has. Not a literal minute, but like, you know, the saying it's been a minute. It's, it's been how long? What, three and a half months maybe? Yeah, I had to clear the cobwebs out the studio. Yeah, it's it's been like that a bit around probably what, since March 2020, a bit of in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, we were confined to our our bedrooms, our studies for how long did we do the Twilight Football Show, do you reckon, in lockdown this year? Uh, many months. It, it seems like forever. It seems like decades, honestly. I've lost all uh, track of time when it comes to uh, the last two years here in Melbourne, but it's good to be back in the studio talking football with mm. you here on a Monday evening, and I'm excited to get into a bumper weekend and some big topics coming up for the international break as well. Absolutely, Josh. And uh, let's start with this morning, shall we? Uh, yeah. We're both up for it. Um, I was, I was good to, it was actually felt good being up for a Milan game and everyone else is watching it with me for a change. I get very stressed out watching Milan. And uh, sometimes, you know, I, you know, in the words of Gennaro Gattuso, my mood sort of swings between sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe the proverbial. Not so good. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, for those that don't know this morning, Milan won into one. Uh, it, it a big game in terms of the stakes of the Serie A title race in terms of Napoli dropping points earlier this morning against Hellas Verona. It was an opportunity for Milan to not only jump Napoli, but really put the hammer down on Inter, who were looking to obviously defend mm-hmm. their Scudetto. Um, but for Inter, if they were able to get the win, it was to basically keep them right in the mixer. Um, and it was looking good for them early. Uh, a dubious penalty, which was dispatched by a uh, former Milan man himself in Hakan Chalanoglu. Who wasn't um, tame about stoking the intercity tensions before no, the game, was he? He had a bit of an interest. Well, I wouldn't say interesting. It was just a, I thought it was a stupid Instagram post. I'm going to put it <laughs> bluntly. Like, Team Hakan doesn't get the tick of approval from Milan yeah. fan Nick Dubano. <laughs> well, this just in. For those that didn't see it, it was a, uh, he posted his Instagram like this, I think it was a picture of the Duomo and it had either side, like two big Hakan Chalanoglu's, one in an Inter jersey, one in a Milan jersey. And then he had an, a Photoshopped edit of himself taking on himself, <laughs> even the Inter jersey, taking on a Milan jersey version of Hakan Chalanoglu. Um, and I think the caption was on the long, along the lines of, uh, what was it? Was it Pront? It's, it's time. It's time. It's time. Um, and it was a bit of a... I saw it and I just thought that is peak Hakan and Chalonoglu. Bit narcissistic. Yeah, just a little bit. And you knew straight away. Hint to the Mesut Ozil's about him here in the in the Milan shirt, just the eyes. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry, actually, his son said or not the Duomo. I thought yeah. it might have been a bit more artistic. Yeah, there's um, a, there seems to be a... Oh, yeah, there's a Duomo on the a right Duomo there. Duomo in yeah. there. I thought Inset I wasn't going nuts. On, on the right-hand side and the San Siro looming in the background. The real, it's wonder, a real, like, industrial, imposing mm, venue, isn't it? It does. Um, and it's a shame that in a few years' time, the San Siro is going to be demolished and moving yeah. to a new stadium. That's a topic for another day. Chalonoglu stepped up. He scored the penalty. As you can see, Josh pulled up the photo on his laptop now. He put his hands to his ears and wanted to hear it from the Cordova. Mm. Um, it wasn't actually a great penalty, just sent Tatarasano the wrong way. Um, within minutes, though, Milan equalised Stefan de Vrij own goal. And for those who know about Stefan de Vrij, uh, he has a tendency to score, or not score, but do things for the opposition team in big games, if you remember back to his time at Lazio. Mm. Uh, only bit of a Richard Dunn type. Yeah, bit of, uh, a bit of like, famous. you know mishaps in in on the big occasion mishaps yeah um and scored the own goal um and it was game on and within minutes after that into a back on the spot um 
and it was this time Lautaro Martinez who stood up and took the penalty. Um, and it was saved by Cyprian Tatarashano. And i got to say, what a save it was as well. Got right down to his right. And then for the rest of the game, it was end-to-end, shots off the line. Late in the game, Alexis Salamakers almost stole it with a an absolute stinging effort from range. Like, oh, my goodness. Because he doesn't score many goals. And that's yeah. kind of not his forte. He's, he's always been known that his Achilles heel is his final product, whether it's crossing, passing, or really just his shooting in general. But that was a great effort. And then Kessie missed the rebound. But in the end... I think a draw was kind of a fair result compared when you have a look at the chances both teams had. But it was a weird game, Josh. Yeah. Weird in terms of, I think, how ebbed and flow a bit, you know. Wild swings in momentum. Yeah. Wild swings in who was dominating. For periods in uh, the first half, Inter had an encampment set around Milan's penalty area. And Mm. it seemed like just a matter of time before they scored. There were so many missed opportunities. Lataro Martinez had an evening to forget, I would say. Poor game. Uh, Not only did he miss a penalty or have it saved brilliantly uh, in the other spot kick of the game, uh, but he also had a couple of opportunities inside the area, which you would expect a striker with his finishing instincts to have put away Mm. normally. Uh, But... You know, Inter were were bossing long periods. And then sort of the last half hour, last 20 minutes of the game was all Milan. Yeah. And it may well have been the substitutions that that prompted that, Nick, because I don't think Stefano Pioli's starting 11 came off as planned at all. I mean, not only did he he make a halftime substitution with uh, Balotore, the left back, getting absolutely monstered in the first half by the likes of Damian and... uh, turning his back on the ball before yeah. conceding that penalty, which was just like defending 101. Mm. You can imagine what some of the, you know, stiff upper lift British pundits would have made of that, you know. <laughs> well, uh, look, in terms of the lineup, obviously that left back change was forced due to Teo mm. Hernandez being suspended. And we do know that Teo Hernandez being one of the premier left backs yeah. in world football, even though he has some suspect moments defensively, he, you know that that wouldn't have happened. And watching Balo Toro since he signed from Monaco in the offseason, he's had a few real days to forget. Yeah, um, has not endeared himself no, straight away. And then you've got Rafael Leal, uh, sort of free-form jazz approach to football. Yeah. It doesn't really fit into the team ethic or dynamic. There was a run he made in the first half where I think he did a Zidane pirouette past somebody. Yeah. And he beat about three players and ran probably half the length of the pitch with the ball, but it was both ways horizontally across the field. I don't know where he was going with it. Rafael Leal is a vibes footballer. Um, (laughs) Sometimes, look, he's been at Milan. This is now his third season, and it's sort of become accustomed to Rafael Leal that he sort of just goes about things differently. Very sporadic. This season, though, I must say. scat singing or something. Yeah, the past two seasons, he'd drop up. Like, he'd have some couple of games, then he'd go bad for two months. But this season so far has been brilliant. Um, Rewarded with call-ups to the Portuguese national team. This morning, not... Not his best effort, but it's also, um, in terms of this lineup and everything, we'll go into that in a sec, but Liao is one of those players that has had to play a lot in the mm. past in the past month. And Milan's been one of those teams that's had to play every three days, not just because of Serie A fixturing Champions League as well. Um, Ante Rebic getting injured at the start of the international break and only coming back today doesn't help with the rotation yeah. of just being able to give Liao, you know, in a midweek game against Torino or on the weekend against a team like uh, Bologna, you can play Ante Rebic and you can maybe give Liao that, that rest and bring him on for half an hour. Um, on the right-hand side, it was the same thing with Alexis Salamakers. Um, Brahim Diaz started on the right. He's been out for this basically this whole month with COVID and only returned in midweek, and he looked really rusty. Salamakers has had to play basically every minute 
um, since the start of the of this window, and it has been in part two. Junior Messias barely being able to get on the pitch since signing, and Samuel Castillo, who had his uh, amazing forty five minutes, and then got injured the next the next game. So the rotation just wasn't there, and. You know, Milan have had to lean so heavily on the likes of Fakaya Tamori, Rado Krunic, and Tamori's been brilliant. Krunic, not so much. Um, you know, he's he has his moments, but in terms of how it worked with Zlatan up top, you lost that sense of that guy who can just pick up the ball in between the lines and actually link up with Zlatan. Krunic comes so deep because he's, su- he's a deep-lying midfielder by trade. He's not a 10, you know, and he plays well against those better sides when you've got Marcelo Brozovic there. It's just you're playing fire with fire and it's never going to work. But... In, in terms of the entire 11, um, those changes he made in the second half and a half time changed the whole complexity. You know, Pierre, Pierre Kalulu, who's not a natural left back at all, was brilliant in the second half. Mm. Um, there Didn't was this, get forward too much, but no, just but defensively, position and, yes. and he, he just, uh, the solidity on that flank in the second half was a real point of difference. Absolutely. But I felt as if Pioli could have made more changes earlier. Probably, it was clear yeah. it wasn't working. It was one-way traffic. Uh, the goal... Uh, the own goal from the free kick was uh, one moment amidst a sea of inter-dominance. Yeah. And the sub- substitutions were right. He made all the right changes, but I think a little bit too late, leaving it to the yeah. 60-70th minute. A double change at halftime for me would have been in the order of the day. And rather than bringing Tonali off as he did, Kessier was the obvious culprit having given away, maybe a little bit unlucky on the penalty mm. on Hakan Chalanoglu because... Maybe wasn't a foul. It looked as if Chalanoi fouled him. But also, he put him. himself in that situation. He, he did exactly. He put he put himself under pressure by you know turning one way and then another and running in the wrong direction, not giving the ball mm. up. Uh, and he's not a player who deals with high pressure particularly no. well. And Inter were pressing quite effectively, and continually, Kessie was the player dropping between the centre backs and picking up the ball deep and trying to dictate. Whereas, you know, his skill set does not lend itself to that. No. You'd rather see him higher up the pitch, running onto second balls, yeah. supporting the attack, being a body in the box. And Tonali, you'd feel, is the player more suited to that role. Yeah. But again, uh, at halftime, if perhaps Ben Asser had come on to partner Tonali um, uh, for Kessier at halftime, Milan could have swung the tide of the game and the momentum a lot earlier and given them more, more of a chance to score and a winning you goal. You know what was interesting? It wasn't just when Benacer came on, and, and even, I've got to give it to Ante Rebic, he provided a lot of energy down the left-hand side. We know his delivery, you know, the fresh air is the dribbles into nowhere, but yep. the energy he provided, he was just causing headaches for the back three. But even for those last five minutes when Milan were really pressing and they were getting forward... I know that he has, and he hasn't been great since he's come back to Milan, but that changed, I think, to bring on Bakayoko as well with for Krunic. You just had to have him sitting in front of the back line, literally what they were doing with Kessie and just distributing the ball. It allowed Benacer and Kessie to get forward. It actually created more space for Salamakers yeah. to come in central. And I've got to say, that cameo from Alexis Salamakers, and it's very unfair some of the criticism he cops from Milan fans because, you know, he's not a flashy player. You know, he didn't he's come not, in with a big reputation. No, it was a low, low transfer yeah. fee. He, and he was only signed because, remember, Anthony Robinson, um, the, the American fullback at the time was at Wigan, that deal didn't come through because he had his heart complications. So Salamakers was signed at the last minute with that money. And he was signed as a fullback, wasn't he? Yeah, so he can play fullback, he can play wingback. Um, mm. I think he'd be great as a wingback one day, but I think his best football could be actually done as a 10. And um, we know that that's a bit of an Achilles heel for Milan, but Brahim Diaz, before the COVID diagnosis, was playing sensational, mm. some, some brilliant football. Um, but 
what we saw was, you know, how smart he is when he gets on the ball. And even when he's not on the ball, those runs and just dragging defenders, allowing for Diaz to get open, allowing for Liao and Zlatan or Giroud, whoever it is up top. And, you know, I was a bit worried at one point thinking, is he going to, you know, maybe choke and not really choke, but sort of, you know, panic a bit and bring Giroud on and go Zlatan and Giroud up, up top, which I think would have been just a, a disaster, disastrous yeah. move. But um, the way Pioli managed it in the second half was brilliant. But just on Inter's side, one thing that I thought caught my eye was just how Inter lost control of the game. I thought when Barella got injured mm. um, because Barella's pressing, you know, getting high and he's not necessarily, you know, the most creative player, even though yeah. his assist tallies apparently suggest he's the most creative footballer in world football. But they're, you know, sort of those late runs, late little passes. But the way he was able to press on Kessie and put that pressure on, they lost a lot of that when he got that had that injury. It was the Vidal substitution. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, Vidal is, is aging. He's not Arturo Vidal from his days at Juventus. No. Um, and, and he would have been ideally suited to the same role. Absolutely. Peak, but Barella is a bit of a Vidal reincarnation in yeah, some ways. Yeah, and he's just a little pocket rocket. Like, he just yeah. runs all day. And it's a bit of a loss as well for Italy uh, coming up for this international break. Because it does look like if it's any sort of hamstring, it's three to four weeks most times on the sidelines. Mm. Um, but I've got to say, in the end, when you look at this game as a whole, a one-all draw probably was the fair result. But... I think uh, Milan can probably hold their head higher than Inter because, you know, Inter, uh, they're still not in a good position right now to close in on the top two. They've missed an opportunity to not only close in on Milan, but Napoli as well. You know, Napoli aren't going to drop points all the time and they were very, very unlucky not to win this morning too. Do you think the goalposts have shifted though for Inter based on how well they've actually started the season? Because the expectations in preseason were really low. I mean, Antonio, Antonio Conte they're obviously leaving, yeah. left. Massive financial problems with the owners, uh, obviously selling Lukaku, but you know also letting other players go and bringing in free transfer replacements. Yeah, I mean, I think given the expectations for them in preseason, uh, thinking that they were going to slip down the table dramatically. They've actually done okay. They've done okay, but they haven't necessarily been inspiring like in the same level of Napoli and Milan. I no. think they'll make they top four this year. they weren't expecting to no, be no, defending no, champions sure. this year. But so. they're a weird read because sometimes they play some really good football. Mm. And recently in the last – I know they've only played Sheriff in the Champions League, but Inter's had this thing about the Champions League where they've just never been able to get over the hump since they won it. Like the yeah. last decade, they have been a, a terrible Champions League team. Even under Conte the last two seasons, they've been – abhorrent they've finished bottom of the group every time and it was looking that way and he's got them back I guess sort of you know playing some decent football under Simone Inzaghi I think Inzaghi's done brilliantly with them with what he has um you know but I still think they've got some issues in the middle um I, I don't know how much of a long-term solution Hakan Chalonoglu really is in terms of the middle of the park there are word there is word that they're going to have to shave the wage budget again mm. um, I know they just re-signed Barella and Martinez but we know what contracts are like these days Lukaku signed a new deal at Inter only weeks before he was sold for, to Chelsea um, not that he actually wanted to be sold but it was literally out of necessity same with Akhtraf Hakimi who was a massive loss mm. on that right hand side he's yeah. a tremendous player but you know Matteo Damian's had a pretty good season I've got to give it to him after that spell at, at United and even at Parma, the back three still the back three. Yeah, but and Denzel Dumfries, uh, when he came on, had a couple did, of decent yeah, runs. Yeah, and Eddie Dzeko as well, man. He's just he's I mean, ageless. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, though. I mean, you look at you know one uh, ageless, yeah, <laughs> Eastern European man versus the other, another. I guess he's Swedish, but yeah, Zlatan Ibrahimovic at age forty. Mm. I legitimately did not know he was on the pitch until the second half. Yeah, and that's sometimes the issue because Latan he just ebbs and flows and that's sort of the... And he I needs guess, the know. team playing far higher up the pitch than 
maybe some of Milan's other mm. players are used to. Yeah, and Zlatan, I guess, throughout his whole career has been able to sort of shoulder that so much mm. that responsibility. He's seen how many times he used to come deep and receive the ball and do all that. He can't do that anymore. He's 40. He's had Should that he many injuries Should he be playing the big recently? games? Because everyone, no, there's no, this no, mythology no. around Zlatan. And, but, but honestly, Ante Rebic in big games, facing forwards on the counter-attack, mm. With the likes of Salamakas and, and Leao in behind him, we saw against Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah, yeah. It can be absolutely devastating. Well, it can be. But the thing is, we've seen Zlatan against Roma mm. last week, against a team that supposedly sit back a bit more. He absolutely tore them to shreds. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't see – they've got this weird situation where they've got Giroud as well, who's literally at his age a very similar player in yeah, terms of what he can offer. kind of interchangeable. Yeah. It, it seems a bit I, like – a bit like you're not getting any variety when you switch yeah, one for the I, other. I think when I look at their next few big games after this next window, they've got Atletico Madrid still, they've got Liverpool in this period, they play Napoli in this period as well. I think in that sort of game, they'd have to ask the question about starting Ante Rebic. But Zlatan, as much as what he offers from a, you know, sort of sometimes he lacks in his what he can do at this age. Mm. It's that intrinsic stuff of him being a motivator because you see how much the players rally. Yeah. When Zlatan speaks, you listen, right? You know, and I think... He can be used in two ways. You can start him and get 60 minutes out of him. I don't think he can play a full 90 anymore. I think it might have been a bit of a mistake to try and keep him on for as long as possible. I know the changes that they made. If Teo Hernandez is playing, you know, he offers a lot more down that left-hand side. You can get balls into his head. Um, but also as well, you've got one free sub. So if the Zlatan stuff isn't working, you could have thrown Giroud on. You could have thrown Rebic up top and brought on somebody else. Um, but next season yeah. going forward is the interesting one because Andrea Bellotti is probably going to sign for Milan at the end of the season on a free transfer. That is probably the deal that it's like the mm. replacement for him. Giroud's contracted for another season. Um you know, Pietro always a backup Giroud. It doesn't matter Giroud, where he goes. Giroud will be fine. You know, just to have there as that experienced backup. You don't mm. want to be relying on him, but every three days you can just throw him in there. They've got young Pietro Pellegrini who is hasn't played much since joining on loan. Mm. They've got a young boy out on loan at the moment called Lorenzo Colombo, who's almost a top scorer in Serie B. So their their stocks are fine, yeah. but they've got to ask the question at the end of this season, even if they win the league, as to how much longer can you milk the cow of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and how much more can you get out of him at 40 years old and especially the injuries he's had recently Achilles knee he 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 is eternal in that sense that he just finds a way to get it done but I think as time goes on they're going to have to look for that long-term solution I think that is Andrea Bellotti but I'd be curious to see how Pioli manages this in the weeks ahead because the fixture isn't going to get any lighter mm. you know you can't be playing Zlatan um, every single game so, look, it will be interesting to see how he handles it uh, in the games to come because as well, as much as they've got Giroud as a backup, Giroud is 36 and he has had injury problems already this year. So if they can get something out of Rebic too, maybe, but we know what Rebic is like as well. So there's this weird sort of, you know, do you, do you, the balancing act of, you know, what are you going to get from Ante Rebic? Which side of the bed did he wake yeah. up on? Is Olivier Giroud still going to be a long, like an answer every single week? Because the goals he has scored this season, a lot of them have been mm. set pieces, you know, penalties, that sort of stuff. And Zlatan is Zlatan. You don't you, is he is his body up to it? Can clearly, he clearly there is no one yeah. number one option at the moment for every game. This is why why I'm saying it has to be horses for courses. Absolutely. And with the selection in this derby, I didn't think there was a lot of joined up thinking between who was playing in midfield and who was playing up front. No, but because, also in that point, just quickly to interrupt, Rebic is coming back from a three week injury. Yeah. Okay. That that that, that yeah. makes sense. Um, but even so. Playing Ibrahimovic up top when you've got Kessie playing deep and Krinic in midfield as a more kind of defensive worker, I suppose. Mm. 
they're, they're likely to put you on the back foot in games yeah. and it, you may end up with counter-attacking opportunities as a result. And as well with, with Inter often playing on the front foot with the lineup they selected, I, I felt as if in the first half Ibrahimovic was completely ineffectual because there was this massive gap between the midfield and him, mm. whereas you don't have that problem when you've got a faster forward like Rebic up front. If the selection had changed from the start and you had maybe Benesser and Salamakas starting, mm. then Ibrahimovic would have made sense because you're obviously going to have more possession. You're going to be higher up the park because Salamakas will get you there. And Ibrahimovic can be in the box for his fantastic first touch to bring a ball down or for the knockdowns yeah. he was getting late in the game here. If you're going to make those subs in the second half and the game's going to change, surely Ibrahimovic should be one of those subs. Potentially, yeah. So then he can be fresh, join that attacking unit, and then for the last 20 or 30 minutes lay siege to the inter goal, which is exactly what happened. But maybe if Ibrahimovic hasn't run around for an hour beforehand, you know, he gets to a ball ahead of an inter defender and Milan win the game. Yeah, and the thing was, if you want to look at that, that is actually a good point because against Porto in midweek, mm. he came on for 15 minutes and he scored, but it was disallowed, obviously, yeah. but he got in the right areas. Um, but I think that... There was almost, when you talk about the selection, and I know fatigue plays a role in it, but it's that similar scenario. I know Pioli is a much better manager than, say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But you remember that game against Everton before the international break, the last one, where I think he rested Ronaldo, uh, I think it was Bruno Fernandes or, or Paul Pogba, and it was all, you know, again, towards the internet. Like, you know, they've played a lot of football, but it's the last game before the international break. Who cares what condition they're in when they go to the national team? That's not your problem. I know it is when they come back, but at the end of the day, Get as much as you can out of them. Like, you know, if Salamakers, Salamakers isn't going to start for Belgium, being yeah. real. I'm, I know that Roberto Martinez has liked what he's offered, but he's not going to start the big game, the first big game coming up. He might come off the bench. Um, you know, you're not going to get, well, Benes says obviously a big part of Algeria's team, but still, you may as well just use what you've got. Get as much as you can out of them. Um, but also, I think this team would have functioned a hell of a lot better, as I mentioned, if they had Teo Hernandez going forward, just for what he offers down that left hand side. His crossing is brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, the way he attacks defenders, he runs like you just like he's it's like you're waving the red the red cape like a matador and just letting the ball run. He just runs at players and you know, I think that that could have changed things a lot, but end of the day, it is what it is. Game's done, one all. Be intrigued to see what happens uh, coming out of this because I think Milan as well, they just need to get bodies out there too. They need to have get over this injury hump and I think it'd be Good to see Pioli work with a full squad instead of just trying to fill which whatever he can because he's had to lose players and everything else. Well, coming out of that, I mean, a massive weekend in Serie A and the top three stays exactly where they were. Napoli yeah. drawing with Verona this morning. Atalanta make up some some ground and, and crack the top four, mm. uh, which is good for them, especially when, you know, maybe 12 months ago we were thinking the end is nigh for this Atalanta yeah. side. They're still hanging around up in the Champions League places. Got to give it to Gus Berdini on that. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, even, you know, without his uh, Argentine talisman these days, they're still doing the business. And uh, coming into this international break, which team in Serie A do you think has the most questions to answer? And why is it Jose Mourinho's Roma? Um they're, they're a basket case at the moment. And I think we all, I, I got, I was a bit excited about them at the start. I thought they've got some nice things happening. They're winning games. Tammy Abraham was playing really well. That was actually his first goal this morning in quite some time. He'd been struggling. And I don't think that's entirely his problem. You know, I think that the lineup that he puts out there, and Mourinho's admitted it himself. He's already thrown the players under the bus after they lost 6-1 to Bottle Glimpse. He said the team's not good enough. 
He came straight out and was like, you know. He said the depth wasn't good. Yeah, he said, like, we've got some good players, but it's not a good team, Mm. you know. And it's true. This is not a very good team. Uh, Putting it bluntly, they've got a great starting 11 when they're all out there. But it's what he does with that starting 11 too. You know, playing Brian Cristante and Jordan Veritu as two destroyers in midfield, you lose a lot. Well, that's, that's classic Mourinho, though. What Absolutely. did they expect? But, you know, the thing is you do lose a lot going forward. And um, I think it was Ante Jukic who said it after the Milan game. He said the goal they scored was such a typical Roma thing to do. They're, 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 they've, they've got the numerical advantage, but they're just hoofing balls into the box. Like there's no mm. sort of plan B, no sense of dynamism, you know, nothing sort of different to try and offer something else. El Sharawi had a couple good moments. But when you've got Cristante and Veretu there who are – primarily just two sixes, you're not going to get that sort of movement. I know Pellegrini's had a great season, but similar to Nicola Barella, late run merchant, scores those sort of goals, feeding off the scraps of Tammy Abraham. Nicola Zagnolo, as much as um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brilliant talent, he's looking a bit rusty still coming off all those knee injuries. There's a lot of weight for him to bear because he's, you know, he's a prestigious young player. They don't have the depth on that right-hand side. Um, so... This morning, they were carved up by Venezia, who have not been, bar their fantastic merchandise and brilliant kits, on the field, they've been a massive candidate for relegation this year, and they've probably been the worst of the three. Well, probably the second worst behind Salernitana of the promoted bunch. Um, and they were carved to bits. Yeah. And Roma In had transition 20, as well. Roma had 27 shots, Josh, and they got <laughs> carved up. When te- it's, it's funny. It's always that thing about teams who don't want the ball. When they get the ball, they just don't know what to do with it. And yeah. Venezia played them, played them brilliantly. Um, Mourinho's got questions, a lot of questions to answer coming out of this. Um, next week, um, Ante and I will talk more about Roma and their issues uh, with our Serie A pod. But I think that there's there's some major issues they've got to answer, especially defensively. I don't think he even knows his best 11, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. It's the same problem as well with Juventus. If you don't know your best 11, how are you going to be able to get results? Is part of the problem just that they have such incredibly slow centre-backs? Yep. 100%. I mean, and, he's, and we're not even including Federico Fazio yeah. still in their books as well, you know? Mancini, like, these guys are not modern no, day defenders. Not at I all. I mean, Roma are going in search of goals. And yes, you can hammer balls into the box when you've got Tammy Abraham and Shamurov to mm. aim at. But when you lose the ball and it goes the other way, when you're relying on these really sluggish defenders to make up the ground, I mean, it only takes one quick forward like Okoreke to tear you apart. So, Absolutely. You know, uh, Jose Mourinho's teams have always, when successful, been built from the back. So would you, if he does keep the job, if he does stay in charge yep. and not, you know, go to Newcastle United or something, so he's <laughs> well, mythical connection to Bobby now, Robson, yeah. Yeah. could you see him dipping into the market in January and looking for to. new defenders? He has to. Like there's no, there's no, there's no sugarcoating mm. that. He has to. I think the one thing he's got to do, just having a look at this team on paper, just in the meantime is you're talking about slow. I think the best thing they could do is do what, um, Atalanta did with Brian Cristante and play him in centre yeah. back. Put him in the middle of the three. Just let him distribute. He's a good defender. Like he's yeah, very, he's very a good unit as well. He's a big boy. Um, you know, Gianluca Mancini. I think he's a very talented centre back. But if you've got two sm- slower guys around him, you're gonna. And he's already a slow guy. You're gonna really expose him there. Um, I think definitely. But the thing is, it's like you know. Who, how much do they have to spend? Who's actually going to want to go there right now? Mm. You know, they're going to have to be smart with their transfers. Like they've got to be really sort of, you know, savvy with who they look for. Might have to not go down the, you know, the, the usual route of looking for names or looking for guys who have sort of been there and done that. Start looking for some, you know, diamonds in the rough per se. Um, but it's not even there where they have to answer. They've got questions to answer in midfield. Their central midfield depth is, is really poor. 
um, beyond yeah. even if they do move Chris Stante, it's like who else are you going to play there? Amadou Diara has been told, Diara has been told to find a new home, and he's literally the only other backup they've got. He's filled his bench now with kids almost every week. We saw Aussie Christian Volpato on the bench the other week. Yeah. He hasn't been in the bench since. Um, you know, the writing's on the wall as well for Henrik Mkhitaryan. He's not getting minutes right now. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how he manages it. But it's a matter of how long do the Roma board wait until you sort of make that decision on him? Because they gave Paulo Fonseca a lot of time to sort of get it right. Uh, it, he didn't. Jose Mourinho was brought in. They were hoping he could steady the ship. He hasn't. But this squad is just simply not good enough. And they need – they've got, a, I think, a very talented attack. They've got some great wingers. I think this three four one two formation wouldn't actually be the worst thing for them to work with because you do get the best out of El Shadawi and Karsdorp, who are great attacking fullbacks. El Shadawi is one of the hardest working players I've ever seen, despite the fact he's had that many injuries. The guy just runs all day. Mm. Um, and Karsdorp, you know, defensively is quite poor. So I think in midfield defense, they've got to make some big moves. They've got mm. a lot of questions to answer. and so it's With the cattle they have on the park now, yep. bear with me here, Cristante to the heart of the back three, yep. as you're mentioning. Maybe Zaniolo is one of the midfielders. I know he's I think he'd bit... be good as a 10, but then again, though, him Can, and Pellegrini play, can't work in the could same. Could you play Vertu as a sole holder and two eights in... Chris, you know, in Pellegrini and Zaniolo. Not it's hard it, workers, it, though. That's the problem. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You'll get carved on the counter. Uh, unbalanced immediately as soon as you try and add some, you know, more poise on the ball, more creativity in there. So that's that's the... Well, it's, it's just before, we'll go to a break in a sec, but it's the same th- issue that Juventus have as well yeah. with their midfield composition. You know, they've got that issue of they've almost got too many destroyers. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying right now, McKenney and Locatelli, and that is... they're. they're getting some results, but again, it's not a long-term yeah. solution. They're trying Adrian Rabiot still on the left wing. I don't know what Allegri sees there, but apparently it works, you know, and they've got issues in midfield. They've got to sort out. Um, and it's amazing the neglect in both these two teams who you'd think, well, I know Paratici's now gone from Juventus, but you think still the, the all-star scouts that they can afford to go out and get, that they'd be able to identify some better players that would work in the these yeah. two managers respective systems. But it's, it's funny with Allegri and Mourinho, they can't death star their way to wins anymore. It doesn't work in Serie A these days. They need to be more progressive. Has, more has the, the league forward. improved in terms of the depth? I think the better te- the 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 gap between say the top seven or the seven sisters as they're called between say you know your Fiorentinas, your Sassuolo's, Hellas Verona etc they've gotten a lot better mm. they know how to break these teams down you know see what Igor Turdor's done so far at Hellas Verona he's been able to break a lot of these teams with the way he plays on the front foot uh, Vincenzo Italiano at Fiorentina etc we saw what the Zerbi did at Sassuolo for so yep. long his innovative uh, sort of moves and Dionisi now so I just think that there's almost a sense of you know arrogance you know we can still go about things the same way Allegri's been out of the league oh we can go back to just doing what we did we won it, it was a proven successful formula but it's not anymore it's not in Serie A because teams know how to play him. Just give them the ball. Because what are they going to do if yeah. they have the ball? Nothing. And you don't have Crotone, man, to bail you out. No, at the end of the no, day. not anymore. Not anymore. It's a conversation for another day. Josh, let's take a quick break here on our FNI Euro show for today. Uh, sponsored today, obviously, by DKP Co. Chartered Accounts and yes, Lanco Group. And uh, we'll come back. We'll d- dump into a bit of uh, Chavi. Chavi Chats. Chavi Chat. Back in a sec. Welcome back to the FNR Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devano and Josh Parrish here on your Monday evening. 
enjoying the show, drop a comment below on the Twitch. Head over to... Is our Periscope still running or what's the go there? Yeah, Twitter's, Twitter's a bit sketchy these days with the live streaming. I think Twitch is the place to go. You can also, if you're not you know, keen to set up a Twitch account or whatever, you just go to the, the website, footballnationradio.com. When we're streaming live, see it straight smack bang on the front page. Just hit play. So it's easy as that. Uh, Nick... Uh, People might be wondering, mm. why are we not talking about Australian football today? No. Well, today, obviously, we've got a bit of a new program schedule yeah. coming out, Josh. Uh, Monday Let's night. call this week the soft launch. And yeah. we might see some new branding, some new f- show intros, some new content coming out next week. But to give it a breakdown for the FNR diehards out there. Mondays, Euro with Euro sort of uh, content with myself. Yes, um, next Monday, it was supposed to be this week, but unfortunately ran into some... Uh, difficulties. He's now back at the ESP, uh, back on ESPN. Yeah. Until you get to be joining me for our, uh, what is it, monthly? It won't be monthly too much anymore because yeah. of the we might have to international change. break is a chance yeah. to zoom out and take a big picture look at Serie A. Yeah, so that's sort we've of looked at it somewhat granular detail today, going deep on one match and mm. Jose Mourinho. But you can have a bit of a wider perspective when there's not the the rigmarole of the yeah the weekly updates. So uh, Ante and, and Nick have been doing this for a little while now. It's going to be yep. folded into our Euro program on Tuesdays. It's basically Australian football night on Tuesdays. We're going to not only have a look at the men's side of things, A League men, Socceroos, Aussies abroad, etc., and so on, uh, with Lockie Flanagan, but also Pakua Frimpong getting her own show. Fantastic! Uh, the women's really football exciting. show, and it's going to cover obviously A League women. Uh, and MPLW, but also the Matildas, all of our Australians playing overseas, the NWSL, and particularly we're going to have a look at the Women's Super League, which Pakua watches religiously, and yep. I think it's because her beloved Arsenal does a lot better in the women's than the men's. Yep. Uh, but uh, that's going to be a big part of the uh, the programming as well. Then on Wednesday nights, very exciting, we've got the return of the Green Room, Western United Club Show. Here on FNR, we've got a huge show planned for that. Look out for uh, our promotional materials. There's a big guest coming on. Big guest. He's literally big, though. Like, yes. He's, 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 big. he's a tall man. Yes, he's a he tall is. Man. Um, he looked into my soul uh, mm. about a fortnight ago, and uh, I know all his deepest, darkest secrets <laughs> now. So, <laughs> yes. He's going to be joining us as uh, well as club president, Chris Pelovanis. And Shall we then, say who it is? Oh, I think people might be able to guess. Let's say he's making a big splash. He's a new arrival. Yeah. A new arrival joining yeah. us. And then after that, a bit later in the evening, uh, we're going to have Nick Hughes taking us through English football, the Premier League show returning. So uh, looking forward to catching up with a few UK-based journos in that 8 p.m. time slot, uh, just a little bit later with the time difference. So uh, we can get plenty of experts on the line. Excited for that as well. And, of course, on Thursdays, as always, State of Our Football Nation with George Deakin. Sounds good. Sounds good, Josh. Uh, the exciting part is about all that is really Wednesday nights being literally the Western United night because, as we do know, Nick Hughes also works at yes. Western United. So it's almost like as if we've got a bit of a Western United takeover mm. here. And, uh, no, we do acknowledge Melbourne victory here at the station. They still do exist. Yes, for now. For now. Maybe not in 2065, we'll see. That is not a that is not a plug. That is not a sponsor <laughs> read. Anyways, uh, Josh, big news happening last week, uh, the announcement. It seems like it was always inevitable that it would happen one day. Um, and it's probably one of the more exciting sort of former players coming back because he's a proven manager, albeit mm. obviously in Qatar. But Xavi announced as the new manager of Barcelona, replacing Ronald Koeman, whose disastrous reign comes to an end. Um, disappointing that a club legend like Koeman his reign or time at Barcelona has sort of been tainted by the last few months or the last little bit that he's been in charge of the club. 
But it's exciting. Chance now for mm. Barcelona to really hit the reset button in the post-Messi era. Yeah, I think Ronald Koeman being one of their own didn't resonate quite as much when he his style of football is so counter to uh, the mythologized Barca way, the yeah. Cruyffian way. He's much more of a pragmatist uh, as it happens. Uh, some managers coach the way they played yep. and some are Ronald Koeman. <laughs> yep. There's a big, big gap between that. Uh, I think there's an allure for a big club, a super club, yep. in bringing in a coach who hasn't had too much time to sully his reputation. Yep. Hence the barrage of former players coming into the coaching hot seat because there's such a massive gap now between the super clubs and the rest of the competition in terms of finance, in terms of scrutiny and pressure yep. that I think it's very difficult to make your way in the way that it used to be. You, you know, you're doing well with a mid-table club, therefore you get the Juventus job or Absolutely, whatever. Yeah. So that's why the likes of Lampard and Pirlo and Arteta have all been trialed. Not gone too well for really any of those guys. Maybe no, Arteta's, Arteta's beginning been, to turn it yeah. around now. Uh, but Xavi is obviously Barcelona legend of the Guardiola stable, uh, a lifer, and this is sort of the predestined job for him. Mm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I think even if they can't be successful, they will content themselves in their moral superiority, as is often the case at Camp Nou. If they play their way and promote the kids and go up from, from yeah. La Masia, then that will feel not as good as winning titles, but it will fill the gap that they uh, undoubtedly have in that department because the finances are in such disarray. So it's a terrible time for any manager to be taking over. But I think having had the uh, Ronald Koeman palate cleanser, if you will, they're used to not being dominant and Xavi can come in and play the style of football that he wants to play and really bring that Catalan pride yeah. back to Camp Nou, even if the wins don't follow. Well, I mean, the kids are great at mm. Barcelona. We've got to remember a lot of these kids are revolutionary talents. I mean, Pedri in himself, even yeah. though he's aged you know, five years in, in five months, <laughs> um, you know, he's arguably going to be one of the best midfielders in the world if he's not already in the top 20 best central midfielders. Um, they've already got... Uh, What's his name again? Gavan or Gavi? Gavi. Yeah, Gavi who... Um, Gavi and Xavi. Yeah, Gavi um, and Xavi. Gavi himself was caught up for the Spain team uh, for the Nations League finals and just balled against mm -hmm. Italy and in the final as well. He's I another mean, guy to look out Lucho for. Lucho always looking after the, the Catalan kids. Yeah, and I think the good thing is about Xavi is I don't think you spoke about the wins not coming, but I think there's more of a long-term look at this, and that's not a bad thing. I think Barcelona need to look more towards not just immediacy of we have yeah. to win now, we have to maintain that dominant streak. There's almost a sense of, okay, we can accept, you know, top four, limbering a little bit, falling behind Real Madrid and Atleti. I mean, it's the gap between them is probably not as big as you might think, I don't think. No. But I think that, you know, it might not take a hell of a long time for Xavi to get him on side. I think that it'll be they'll be an interesting watch over the next few months. And the good thing is, as we spoke about off, um, off air, Josh, is that this guy, this dude knows how to play, he knows how to put a team out and he will play fun football. And I think if your team's playing fun football, there's more reason for your fans to tune in, whether it's in the stands or around the world. And hopefully they can start to get things back on track. Xavi has some famous quotes in this interview he did a few years back. I think it was around the time of the 2018 World Cup and he was uh, talking to a website called SoFoot and uh his refrain was clearing the ball is an intellectual defeat. <laughs> so just what, ha hoofing it long and... No, you, you can't clear it. You have to play your way, play your out. way out. 
Well, that which is, that could is, that lead is to so, some comedy errors at the back. But that is such a Chavy thing because mm. it's such like you think about the player Chavy, and he would never, ever, ever bomb the ball away. Also a bit of Usain Bolt slander in here. I love Usain Bolt. He's a great athlete. Physically, nobody comes close to him. Who runs faster than him? No one. But with all due respect, he will never make any difference on a football pitch. So was this around the time um, that Usain Bolt was trialing? I, I think this is pre-Mariners. Pre-Mariners. So I, I think Xavi saw the future, as he did in Qatar when he predicted that they would win the Asian Cup. That's Maybe right. it was to do Didn't with... did he say Australia were going to make the final? Uh, I think he said that we'd make the semifinals. So okay, it was close. that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's, he sees a lot of these Qatar players quite regularly back, back then. That's it. I mean, he saw mm. the talent and... Not going to. He also summed up Mbappe, which was probably on the brain at that time because yeah. of his World Cup performances, as a player who knocks the ball past somebody and runs onto it. That's what he thought Mbappe did. Sounds a bit like Andrew Nabu. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. how he's summing him up. He's summing him up as essentially Ante Rebic, which I, I think there's a bit of a gap between those two players, of with course. respect, even if they're both fast. Yeah. But Xavi doesn't care about physical attributes yeah. and. Uh, says that I, you know, I. He basically says he wasn't an athlete, and it was just his brain that yeah. uh, did the talking. But if you actually look at the Barcelona teams of Guardiola's era, and you look at the running stats, mm. and they're a bit oh, of a pretty, red herring sometimes, but pretty PMP in that sense. They were a massive pressing machine. Yeah. Yes, there was a team ethic involved, so it was easier for individual players to perform in that sense. But he and Iniesta covered miles and miles and miles. So I think in his mind, he's really drunk the Barcelona Kool-Aid and uh, he has mythologized the way they played as not really to do with the physical, but all mental and technical. Whereas there's a reality there that they were able to suffocate teams mm. because they were, were able to repeat sprints over and over. There's an obvious, you know, physical element to that game plan. Dude. It was the, the, the Cruyffian, you know, accordion. Mm. It, it expands when you have the ball and it contracts very rapidly when you lose it. Do you think um, as much as just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, and you can tell me I'm wrong, but do you think that there's also a part of this that there is that nostalgia element? You know, mm. we see it so many times when a club favourite returns at the helm. I know that Barcelona situation, Xavi's very different to say when Milan went and hired every single club legend like Sadov and Gattuso and Juventus with Pirlo and uh, Solskjaer at Manchester United. Um, do you think that there will be that sort of immediacy, that immediate sort of jump because it's like the fans will be buoyed by it, there'll be excitement around the new camp for mm. the first few weeks that Xavi's back and everyone want to go out and see him. But then there could be a sense of, you know, if things don't go right, that it might be even more disappointing. Like, I don't know, I'm trying yeah. to word this in the best way possible, but you've seen it so many times. Well, you saw the emotional video that Barcelona put on Twitter about this, you know, his final game and he's, you know, crying in the interview and yeah. they're throwing him up in the air or whatever. And it's going to be even more devastating when they eventually have to sack him because all yeah. managers get sacked. That's the reality of the job. Well, they have to move on eventually. Yeah, or, or they or they leave. So it, it, nothing lasts forever and I don't think Xavi will. Uh, but it's funny about Barcelona. People perceive it as this this global club, which it is, and all these fans around the world and having all this media scrutiny and pressure from all around uh, the globe. But the actual day-to-day -day operation of the club and the opinions that matter in Barcelona, mm. it's extremely provincial. Right. It's actually very local. It is the uh, sort of wealthy socios who almost make up the council of elders there. 
there is a, a, a sort of strata of rich Barcelona businessmen mm. who are kind of part of the fabric and they're not always directors and yeah. so forth, but they're making up the corporate boxes and so forth. And it seems to be these guys that, call that the sway shots. public opinion and some of them even own the newspapers and so forth. There's, there are people locally that you have to impress and get along with in order to succeed as Barcelona manager. You have to win friends and influence people. Yeah. And none of them uh, are outside the, the city walls, so to speak. Well, it's funny you say that, um, just dovetailing for a second about controlling uh, perspective, public perspective, but it reminds me of, have you watched the Bad Sport documentary, mm. the little, little Chano Moji one, and it's like how he More had his yeah. had his mate that uh, hosted one of those uh, late night sort of El Chiring... It wasn't like as, um you know, nuts as El Chiringuito. But of but that ilk, yeah. Yeah, he was like best mates with the host. And when there was a game when Juventus, um, you know, they there was a dubious referee decision which cost them a game against Regina, um, he got the, you know, his mate to call mm-hmm. for his head and call for him to be sacked. And ultimately, you know, the public pressure and everything that it was the right decision to call this offside got him sacked. And you sometimes think about like, you know, how much power, you know, lies within the decision makers and what they can influence. We yeah. see it here in different spheres, in, in different sort of elements of not even just sport, but the world and governance and everything else um, and in politics. So it'll be, uh, I mean, Chavi, as you did say, if he's already on the good side of the elders, because, you know, he's a, He's a club legend. They yeah. would have loved him and as a player. And he speaks uh, the words that they want to hear all the yeah. time. He is always spouting the lingo as yeah. we went through in that SoFoot interview. I mean, it's it's he's amazing. He's Catalan born and bred. Like these, yeah. He's the man for that that sort of role. And I think that hopefully we'll get him on side and hopefully long-term and get Barcelona back on track and back to where they were all those years ago and really build with that new nucleus of players, the likes of mm-hmm. Ansu Fati and Pedri, et cetera. Um, Josh, We'll wrap it up in a bit, but let's get to some other stuff. Let's get to a little bit of Premier League. I know Mm -hmm. we said that we'll save the Wednesday show for the Prem, but we can't not talk about uh, this past week. It's been a bit of a crazy week, especially in the coaching merry-go-round. Before we get to Antonio Conte, I want to speak about Daniel Fark because Mm. the poor dude wins a game, finally, and he gets sacked. How, is that like uh, uh, Max Rushton put a tweet out? We don't do that like, Yeah, it was like Max Rushton put a tweet out. It's like, have you ever done something amazing at work and then been sacked the next day or been told <laughs> that you've done a, done a poor job. Because they beat Brentford on the road, which is not an easy place to go and get results. They've been quite good this season. But that was just unbelievable to think that a guy that, you know, has done pretty well at Norwich, when you think about what he's done in the championship, he's won a couple titles, he's been sacked. It's unbelievable. I mean, uh, Norwich were probably already planning to sack him and then they, they didn't get the replacement organized or whatever in time. They thought, oh, well, let's let him coach this game. They'll probably lose anybody anyway. And then, you know, they suffer a massive PR hit because he's finally won a match and then yeah. he's gone. Uh, so there's obviously some sort of falling out there. He's bottom of the table. You can't really, uh, blame him because of the resources that he's dealing with at Norwich. Yeah. Uh, but they're a yo-yo club and they live off the parachute payments and they're always too good for the championship, but they're not quite good enough to the, for the Premier League and they're not willing to uh, mortgage the club's future on trying to spend like Fulham did that summer and yeah. going straight back down and not being able to get back up again. So I, I, honestly, I thought it was all going to plan, to be honest. They'll win the championship again next year. Another another trophy. And Daniel Fark will be back in the yeah. Premier League. Yeah. But the thing is... You know, winning that game jeopardized their chances of silverware next year. So he's got to go. So essentially, you're telling me that the replacement has to be Frank Lampard. Yes. Or 
Nuno Espirito Santo <laughs> or Eusebio Di Francesco. Uh, it'll probably like be like a Leipzig assistant coach or something. Well, I mean, he fits the ilk of what Norwich have kind of gone for in the post, uh, what was his name? Paul Lambert era of, mm-hmm. you know, Norwich back in the day when they first got promoted in the early 2010s with Grant Holt and Danny Graham. No, Danny Graham's at Swansea, but Grant Holt up top with mm. Cameron Jerome and Wes Houlihan and all them. Um, I think they had Jacob Butterfield for a bit as well. Um, but I, I, I feel for him. I really do because, you know, it's just the worst sort of feeling that you, you do something good, but you walk back into the dressing mm. room and your boss is absolutely livid and he turns around and says, you're gone. But I, you have to wonder, could it have been a situation where they said to him, you're gone no matter what happens at the end of this game. We're going to sack you. Go out there and, you know, do whatever. And he rallied the lads and he said, all right, I'm, I'm, this is my last game. Yeah, let's make it a good let's, one. Let's make it a good one. Maybe. And the players maybe, you know, rallied around the cause and, you know, a lot of these guys would have been under him during his time in the championship and wanted to see him off in the right way. Um, speaking about another Premier League boss, someone who's just come in charge and um, is Antonio Conte. And I'm really excited to see Antonio Conte back because I am adamant that he's going to do amazing things with Tottenham on the only, the only thing that would work against him is if Daniel Levy decides to put too many of his fingers in the pie and do what he always does and, you know, decide to take control when he really shouldn't. Mm. But I, I get a feeling that, you know, Antonio Conte is going to do great things in time. But at the moment, he's dealing with a bit of a turd. Let's be real. We're, we're, let's keep it 100% real. This Tottenham team is not very good. Um, this morning, nil-nil draw in his first Premier League game in charge after their crazy 3-2 win in the Conference League against Vitesse. Um, what do you make of that lineup, Josh? Because it was purely a destroyer's 11, yeah, really. It really and, was. Um, it wasn't a necessarily inspiring performance. So he was 3-4-3. Three, uh, playing Son and Lucas Moura as the two inside forwards and obviously Kane up top. Uh, I think Emerson and Reggion as wingbacks mm. is nailed on for the future. Yep. I don't think Matt Doherty is, is getting in there. No. Uh, Oliver Skip and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg as a midfield pairing is a bit yuck. Yeah. And uh, honestly, it has initial stages of Conte in charge written all over it because yeah. it's just shore it up, make it stable. <laughs> yeah. Let's not take any risks here, and then I'll I'll assess the squad and I'll, I'll find yeah. something. I'll I'll tinker with the formation and the formula for maybe a month, maybe two months, and then he'll find his go-to and he'll stick with that for the rest of his tenure. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the pattern. Um, interesting that uh, Davinson Sanchez is on the bench as well as Tanganga, who was uh, slammed for a lot of the individual errors he yeah. made during the uh, Nuno reign. Yep. And anyone who watched uh, Tottenham All or Nothing or whatever uh, will probably feel a bit sad about Tanganga and yeah. uh, his club future because he was one of the, you know, the inspiring stories there, but he's a li- bit limited. It was Romero, Dyer, Ben Davies as a back three, which is solid and unspectacular. Uh, but, you know, it, if it works, it works. La Celso and Indombele on the pine. I don't know if that will continue for too much longer because I think for Tottenham to actually create chances and not just have, you know, nil or draws every week, yeah. they're going to have to put one of Ndombele or La Celso or a new arrival in January in that midfield because otherwise Son and Kane are never going to get the ball. Two things that I think that he's doing out of necessity. He's never played, a, he never really plays a 3-4-3. He's usually known for playing a 3-5-2 or yep. 4-2-4, which he did at Chelsea and, that was a completely different set of circumstances yeah. of what he did at Chelsea. That. And he, he never really uh, stuck with that. It was no. an initial state. I think he played it for about three games. And then, and then Victor Moses like... became a baller at right wing back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that was the end of yeah. it. Um, but look, I think that this team at the moment, when I look at this starting 11, I don't know how many of these players are in his best 11 when he gets 
a transfer window, mm. gets the war chest that, you know, apparently has been promised to him. You know, he's back with his boy, Paratici. You know, they did wonders mm. at Juventus. Um, as much as Conte is a brilliant motivator, which he is, and there'll be players that will be, you know, completely, mm. they'll want to run through walls for him, you know, based off all the um, different sort of references and glowing sort of stuff that guys like Leonardo Bonucci and Pirlo have said about how he crashes your mind when he speaks to you and he's like a viper. Yeah, his and words just They just like... stick and they make you think, what the hell, where did that come from? The guy is obsessed. He lives and breeds football and he's going to want to win and win now. So as much as... You know, there could be some patience and go, yeah, look, let's just get this season over and done with. Let's hope for maybe a spot in Europe. He's not going to take anything lightly. You watch in January, he's going to go hard at the transfer window. And he's already, you know, labeled the guys that he wants. And when he gets that 3-5-2 and he gets those players, I don't think there'll be a lot of these guys that maybe are there. I think playing Ben Davies at left center back tells you he needs a left-sided center back. He will do all he can to get someone in. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the phone to Mino Raiola and asking, hey, I know Alessio Romagnoli is out of contract. Can we get him across to Tottenham? I know he said he wants to stay at Milan, but if the dollars are there, there's another guy in Milan as well called Franchesi who will 100%, I think, end up at Tottenham mm. Hotspur. I think it's a matter of when, not if. Um, and he fits the mold of what they need because yep. they need a good six, which I think will be, I reckon, Marcelo Brozovic, I reckon, will end up there yeah. because... Intel being that same bit, did I have to, um, you know, sort of balance the wage sheet again? Brozovic, Kessi, and then you get that extra guy in there as that, you know, Nicola Barella sort of, you know, you get your box-to-box Kessi and the guy can just spam the, the late runs, yep. which I think will be in Dombele. Um, I don't think Dele Alli is going to have much of a future at Tottenham because we know he doesn't like mm. hard work. And if you don't work hard under Antonio Conte, see you later. And I don't know about guys like Lucas Mora, Steven Bergvine, um, these guys Bergvine, who, unless he just suddenly turns into a wing back, it's not going to happen. And I think Lucas Moura as well, unless he can play inside forward. Um, I think Harry Kane and Son Hyung Min, if he can find that same, you know, we saw what they did mm. last season. If he can get the best out of them as a front two, could be really dangerous. Um, but their defense needs work. Their midfield needs a lot of work before they can really do anything. And I reckon the next sort of was now November. The next seven months will tell a big story. I'm really curious to see how different the lineup is today compared to, say, match day one of next season in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, Conte can turn some pretty ordinary resources into diamonds in terms of his defenders yeah. because the positional play is so drilled into these yeah. guys. They know exactly where they need to be, wherever the ball is. Mm. You can't do that with the midfield. You need some no. guys who can actually find the target with their passes. Yeah. And, you know, I think in Dombele, they spent £50 million on him. He kind of has to work. Mm. Otherwise, you know, it's, Levy yeah. is looking really bad for that transfer. Yeah. You know, he was the scapegoat under Mourinho. He needs a manager who's going to believe in him and give him license. He can't play in a two. He has to play in a three. Well, that's the thing. That's why they brought Paratici in. Mm. Essentially, now he takes the responsibility. Levy doesn't. Mm. It's like Levy doesn't want that yeah. anymore. He said but to Paratici. Nombre yeah. from a previous era. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it would be a real stinger for, for Tottenham if they have to let him go for a yeah. fraction of the fee. And the thing is as well, Josh, the, mm. the thing about Spurs, um, you know, which, which Conte will do, I think, you know, you speak about how he's able to get the, the defence, if he has a good defence and everything else sort of works, it kind of like, you know, transfers, like it does, the rest around it doesn't matter. You think yeah. about, you know, Italy in 2016. He was, he had the best back three and goalkeeper combo you could think of, the BBC um, back three and Buffon between the sticks. He had that at Juventus at the start when... He took over. They weren't that great. I mean, the players around them, he had Andrea Pirlo, but his attack was getting a bit on. He had the likes of, you know, Del Piero still running around and they weren't a high scoring team. They'd just win one nil and he had hard workers at wing back like Lichsteiner and Asamoah, but it worked. 
Same thing that was in his most expensive transfer, I think. Yeah, it was. it was. And the thing was, in, and that's why, you know, it's so important that Tottenham keep giving him the resources to succeed because how many times every single club that Conte's left has, since Juventus, including Juventus as well, mm. it's been because the board can't match his ambition of, you know, giving him resources to go out and spend. And, and he usually wins the league and then he wants regret, to win the yeah. big one, the Champions League. And he fails. And then he asks for more money in order to win the Champions League. And then he gets angry when he's not given well, it. Well, we think about this. Juventus, he said, Aaron Bill's a famous line. He said, you can't spend 10 euros at a 100 euro restaurant. Yeah. And that's what he described Juventus as. And that was true. They would not mm. spend unless they were on free transfers. And Juventus built that initial team around free transfers. You think Paul Pogba arrived on a free transfer. Um, you look at him at Chelsea. He said... The board didn't get me Lukaku and Virgil van Dijk. So how are we going to succeed? And to be honest, like when you look at that team, they really could have done with Virgil van Dijk at least. And they yeah. eventually got Lukaku back, but he got Lukaku many years later. He got Lukaku at Inter. Yep. And then obviously at Inter, he said it himself. I could not work with what they were going to give me this season, which is fair enough. It mm. doesn't match Conte's ambition. And also his money, what he was earning was just ridiculous compared to what Inter had to shave off. Yeah. So you'd have to think at Spurs, two-year contract he's got. Yeah, I think it's 18 months. Yeah, he has to get it done and soon. And Spurs have to match that. They have to be aggressive at the transfer window because they're going now with someone mm. who wants to win trophies. Spurs are sick of being crap. It's simple as that. They're sick of not winning anything. They've got to go big now. And I think Conte, if he says, I want this guy, they've got to make it happen. What's the best case scenario? Maybe Champions League qualification Top four, and fourth. maybe a... FA Cup, FA or, Cup or something Cup. like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then next year, I think I would not be surprised if Tottenham go really aggressive. Yeah. Like they've got, especially if Conte doesn't sign beyond next season when it goes into the year and he gives them say, I want to get it done this year. I'm walking. They will do everything. And you will see, I reckon some ridiculous sort of transfers where you go, why did they spend that sort of money? We're talking about Dusan Vlavic. Even if they keep Harry Kane, I wouldn't be surprised. They go, I want Dusan Vlavic. Spend as much as you can. And Fiorentina get this $80 million sum for him and Vlavic rots on the bench. Mm. So who knows? I think it'll be they're, they're going to be an interesting watch. They, a Conte team always is. It's always exciting because you don't know what you could wake up to. Hell, we could wake up tomorrow morning and he could have walked already. <laughs> we don't know. So anyways. The Elsa um, move. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be great. Um, Josh, before we go, international break coming up this weekend. Anything sort of catching your eye from Europe that you're looking forward to? Well, I always keep an eye on the Irish national team. Yeah. Uh, and they're playing against Portugal, Portugal again, and they were cruelly denied last time. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, just maybe they could get a result. But that's got very little bearing on the actual qualifiers. You, of course, will be following yep. Italy against Looking Switzerland. Looking forward to Saturday morning, winning they're in, basically, um, and hopefully no repeat of those dreaded playoffs. Oh, dear. Um, you know, it's, Bad it's gonna, memories. Yeah, well, Italy play Switzerland and have to go to Belfast against Northern Ireland. I don't want to go to Belfast on that final day. You so. don't want to need a result in Northern Ireland. No, on the and, last I, day. and knowing them, I don't know if Cole Lafferty's still playing for Northern <laughs> Ireland, but he'll probably pull something out of his proverbial. But I think that it will be, um, be interesting to see that game. Yeah. I think it's in Rome. Big crowd expected. I think it'll be enough to buoy the Italians. Remember how good they were at at home in the Euros. So uh, without Barella, though, that will be the sort of the storyline heading into it. Mm. So looking forward to this weekend of international football, Josh, but I think it's time for us to say goodbye. And in, indeed it is. And then looking forward to next Monday where you'll be joined by Mr. Ante Jukic for a yes. Serie A deep dive. Looking forward to it. But uh, from us here at FNR Football Nation Radio, we're back tomorrow. All things Australian football with yes, Josh Barish and Lockie Flanagan. Looking forward to that. And also Pakua Frimpong's uh, women's debut. football show. Yep. At what time, Josh? So it's six and seven. Yep. Men's and women's. Fantastic. All right. Time for us to say goodbye. Have a lovely evening and uh, we'll chat to you soon.